Hey, podcast listeners, this is Brian Zimmerman, host of Jazz's Backstage Pass. Just wanted to tee up today's episode for you. Uh, today's interview with drummer Peter Erskine was originally recorded as a video interview as part of our Jazz's Brunch series back in April uh, of 2020. We present it to you now as a podcast, but it is still available as a video interview on our website, jazzes.com. You could check it out there or not. You do you, podcast listeners. Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's conversation. Hey, good morning, everybody. Brian Zimmerman here, digital content editor for Jazz's Magazine, here to welcome you to another edition of Jazz's Daily Brunch. Cheers to you, and thanks for joining me. Well, everyone, we made it to Friday. Ugh. Thank goodness. Uh, we might not know what day of the week it is on any other day, but I at least am very aware that it is Friday. You know, we used to have a feature on our website called uh, Fusion Friday in which we'd share a fusion track for our song of the day. Well, we are about to up the ante on that big time today because we have brought in a fusion legend, and let's face it, a jazz legend in general, to the show today. It is none other than the great Peter Erskine. Yes, you know him from Weather Report. You know him from Steps Ahead. You worked as a drummer with Steely Dan, John Abercrombie, John Schofield. He has played on soundtracks galore, including uh, the recent La La Land. His latest album is Three Nights in L.A., uh, which was released on his own fuzzy music record label. And he's also a professor of music at Thornton School of Music at the University of Southern California. He's an amazing guy and a friend of the magazine. We are going to be talking to him in a minute. But first, I'd like to take a minute to thank uh, one of this episode's sponsors. That would be the great Concord Jazz label. The big news for them is that they are releasing Ella 100 live at the Apollo. It is set for release April 24th. That is one day before Ella Fitzgerald's April 25th birthday. Uh, so the album celebrates the music and life of the first lady of song, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, it was recorded live at the Apollo, the storied Harlem, New York venue in front of a live audience. Um, and it was produced by eight-time Grammy and Emmy Award recipient and former Ella Fitzgerald drummer, Greg Field. It features uh, dynamic tributes and uh, some great music by the likes of uh, Lettucey, Liz Wright, Cassandra Wilson, Monica Mancini. And it is hosted by uh, Grammy Award winner Patty Austin and the multi-Tony nominated actor david allen greer as i mentioned this thing will be out uh avail this will be out on april 24th and greg field the producer is actually going to be joining us for a special edition of jazz brunch on april 27th you can learn more at concord.com follow them at facebook as well um, I'd also like to thank, take a minute to thank our marketing partner, Jazz Memes. So as I mentioned before, we're all on the internet all the time these days, and memes are basically like internet currency. 
Um, well, the guys over at Jazz Memes are doing their part to bring some much-needed humor to these trying times for jazz musicians. Um, they've been helping us spread the word about Jazz's Daily Brunch, and so we thought we would share some of their memes with you. Uh, we'll do a meme of the day. So, Jeff, you could go ahead and pull up today's meme of the day. Let's go ahead and take a look. So here it is now. It says, New Year's 2020. It's like the roaring 20s all over again. We've got a global pandemic. Check. Stock market crash. Check. Government government forces bars to close. Check. Jazz is popular. Fingers crossed. We shall see. Um, and it is. I, I would argue that it is more popular now than uh, it has been in past decades. So thanks to our friends at Jazz Memes. You can follow them along at uh, jazzmemes.org. All right. I have done enough talking. We've got the great Peter Erskine on the line. What else do you want, folks? I mean, uh, he's a great guy, like I mentioned, an incredible drummer, incredible teacher, and we are very, very excited to have him on the brunch. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Erskine. Good hey, morning. man. <laughs> hey, Brian. Thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. Uh, <laughs> it's the 20s again. Yeah, uh, that, was almost, that was almost a, a spit-out coffee. Uh, it those jazz memes guys yeah they're hilarious i i like that you've brought your coffee to the jazz's brunch appreciate yeah. that how does how does peter erskine take his coffee you strike me as well, a coffee guy you know what peter erskine likes to be as uh, ecologically responsible as the next person but uh i got one of those keurig machines and so it's, it's like it's like one of the great things i know of 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 life <laughs> and um Everyone has their own favorite pod. If you're into this whole curry thing, oh, yeah. don't don't be upset with me. That you know, and I am waiting for the biodegradable That's right. versions. That's right. But my my coffee of choice, since you asked, is the Tully's uh, Hawaiian blend. Hey man, shout out to Tully's. Uh, you know, uh, I've enjoyed their coffee uh, when visiting Japan. There's okay. a number of Tully's coffee shops, and I. I don't even know where Tully's came from originally. Is that, is that another Seattle? Uh... Could be. Well, hey, man, anything that gives you energy is uh, the right stuff because you've but got I'm it in space, dude. drinking it in my Starbucks cup. So, All right, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to be like uh, you're out and about in your own home. <laughs> and my first question, Peter, for you know people that visit us at brunch is just to check in. You know, how are you doing, man? How are you staying sane? How are you getting through these crazy times? Have you watched Tiger King? What are you binging? What's going on? Mm, okay. Uh, again, <laughs> thank you for asking. Uh, no Tiger King. Okay. Um, so the, uh, of course, first priority, like with anyone, is just making sure that, that you know, the family is okay. Absolutely. Our, our two kids are fine, and um, uh our daughter Maya is, is living in Hollywood, and, and our son Tai Chi is in another part of Hollywood. Uh, both of them, particularly Tai Chi, have been uh, uh, casting a watchful eye over us, uh, making sure that both my wife and I uh, adhere to uh, strict social distancing. Good on them. Um, uh, so our health is good. Thanks. Excellent. Um, That's the most important thing. The, the next, yeah, uh, folks. It works. And California right. is proof. Yeah. Got to stay home. We got to get ahead of the curve. Um, the next challenge was uh, regarding uh, teaching and and the uh, the relatively new president 
uh, President Folt at the, at the University of Southern California, uh, along with the provost and all the deans, um, were pretty much ahead of the curve in terms of transitioning classes uh, to the online teleconference kind of platform. Mm. Um, and, uh, and faculty not only had to get used to the technical issues, uh, but also uh, the pedagogical issues. Uh, right. Um, and uh, I, I fear that the, some of my colleagues maybe are, are, are feeling that they have to overcompensate for the fact that the students aren't in the same space. Uh, so they're over-assigning work. Yes. Um, I have a three-year-old, and I feel like her preschool teacher is already over-assigning us work. So I can relate. So, um, you know, the... Uh, the the line I, I mentioned earlier before we went on the air was uh, the this is uh, this is a half paradise and half horror movie horror mm -hmm. movie because of the suffering uh, for so much of humanity and paradise because we've all been given this gift of time and time allows you uh, not only to you know catch up on things uh, but I think to realign priorities and maybe this maybe will all come out of this. Uh, uh, a little more humble, a little smarter, um, and certainly we'll all come out of, out of this with, with, with bigger than normal Amazon.com. <laughs> that is so true. Yes, there there will be life on the other side of this thing. It will be different, but I I don't necessarily think it will be worse. You know, like just like you said, some priorities will change. The way we interact uh, will change, and I think for the better. So you know, this was and for we were saying for touring musicians especially. You know, there's kind of a silver lining in that they get to be home with their families, you know, and uh, it's, it's rare. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, one gig after another started canceling and, and I had to start canceling flights, and canceling uh, this plan, the other plan. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's funny when, when, when small disruptions happen, like, you know, uh, you knock over a glass of milk on the, on the table. Um, that can seem like, ooh, ooh, you know, kind of a big deal. At least that's the way I always reacted. Uh, but, you know, whenever something really big comes along, whether it's an earthquake or whatever, uh, you get centered pretty pretty fast uh, and quickly. And so uh, everything's been been greeted here with just a, a realistic sense of uh, basically gratitude just mm -hmm. for, for being alive. And um, a sense of calm, like, okay, this is what this is. Um, and, and, you know, I, challenges are opportunities for solutions. So, yep. and, and um, that's not just a, a, a drummer mindset. I, I think, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and not just an American can do thing. I think, I think it's, a, right. the, it's one of the better qualities of, of humankind. Yeah. So here we are. That's right, man. You've been overcoming challenges, you know, rhythmic ones at least for your entire career. And I'd love to start talking about it if we could at the beginning. Um, you know, a lot of people know you immediately from your work in Weather Report, Steps mm -hmm. Ahead, but your big break was with Stan Kenton Group in the, in the 70s. You joined that band in 70. I joined Stan's band uh, in 1972, uh, just wow. after my 18th birthday. Oh, my goodness. Um, 
which was wild. Uh, funny moment. Uh, I'd been playing with the band for you know four or five days, and I'm sharing an elevator uh, uh, going up to our respective floors in this hotel somewhere in Iowa. And just myself and Stan Kenton and Stan looked at me and said, you know, Peter, he said, uh, we haven't discussed money yet. <laughs> my, 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 my fee hadn't, you know, been yeah. discussed. Anyway, so I said, all right, how much do you want? <laughs> and uh, I think that was good for an extra $25 a week. I'm not nice. Sure. Nice. <laughs> You know, it was it was a great the 70s was a great time for big bands. And we should mention you were not only in stands, but then onward to Maynard Ferguson's big band. Mm -hmm. It was the 70s, big hair, big bell bottoms, big sound. You know, these were colossal, colossal bands. You're a kid, you're 18, 19 year olds. What was your role as a drummer in groups like that? <laughs> to play loud. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty um, much. You kind of set the uh, you know, the throttle. Well, you know, uh, the role of, of the drummer in any band is to provide rhythmic information. Mm -hmm. and, and along with that, you know, the, the style, that's part of the rhythmic information. So it's not, you're not just a, a, a metric right. uh, uh, time force or, or, or metronome. Uh, drummers can do a lot to help determine the shading, the, the sense of momentum uh, to the music, uh, dialogue. On the bandstand. Now, you know, I'd gone to the Kenton camps uh, beginning uh, oh, back right. in 1961. I participated in a roundtable last week with Jeff Levinson and 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 Randy Brecker. Uh, Are they also camp alumni? Joe Lovano. Yeah, so Randy oh, and Brecker cool. were both at the yeah. same camps in 1961, 1962. Ooh. This camp photo, dig this. I mean, Is it like a great day in Harlem type deal? Well, <laughs> Keith Jarrett. Randy Brecker, David Sanborn, Lou Marini Jr., Don Grolnick. Wow. I'm in the photo. Um, uh, Donald Bird. I mean, it was just. It, it, yeah, we got to get that photo online. That's, well, that's where we all got yeah. our jazz education because back then in the early 60s, you couldn't even use the word jazz in schools. Mm. Right. And there were no jazz programs, you know, very few. Very few. I mean, and yeah. North Texas and, 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 and of course, Berkeley. Right. Uh, uh, and Michigan State uh, was one of the early schools and, and Clem DeRosa on the East Coast. And there were, Matt Benton, uh, a lot of pioneers you know, yeah. in North Texas. At, at any rate, uh, having met Stan when I was seven uh, and then coming of age, and he was aware of my drumming. I was uh, studying at Indiana University, playing in David Baker's jazz band mm -hmm. uh you know i think i was i i was asked to join the band more for that i think uh, you know connection that maybe other young musicians might have with me here i am this long-haired uh, <laughs> uh kind of hippie drummer right um and the drummer who had been in the band before me, immediately before me, Jerry McKenzie, a wonderful drummer who had played with the band in the early 60s. But but Jerry had just uh, had taken a temporary leave of his regular gig. He was a he was a policeman. Really? Drumming in Kenton's band at night? Wow. So he's a cop. Right. Um, and then they swap him out for you know young hippie. Of course, it, it had more appeal for young musicians and mm -hmm. the band spent over half its time playing in schools. So right. That's really I, with your bread and butter. Yeah. 
yes, what I lacked in, in terms of knowing what or how to play in the band, um, youthful enthusiasm and appearance made up for. And that was a time of transition for the Kenton band as they were getting into, you know, some of the funkier stuff. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, coming up as a player before that, were you into all sorts of stuff, rock and funk? And were you mostly a jazz guy? Well, you know, I was a, uh, I was a real jazz snob when I was young. Okay. Uh, but I also loved, uh, uh, music from, uh, from, from Africa. My, my, my dad used to get me all these recordings and then the Art Blakey, uh, albums where he, you know, combined the African drumming. African. Yeah. Uh, with, with, with his group. Um, it was a large ensemble of percussionists. Um, this was like heaven for me. Um, uh, but you know, the sixties, the Beatles, uh, uh, so much music and then yeah. and weather report and so and the Mahavishnu orchestra with Billy Cobham. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was not only influenced, I was really buffeted by, right. by all this stuff. And I was a big fan of it. And, and in fact had kind of lost touch or contact with, with the jazz roots. And, and so being put in, in, into a big band, man, I had to start paying attention to, to some of that so I could mm -hmm. play. Um, that portion of the band's book correctly. I mean, you know, the great thing about the big bands where they, they were the, the doorway right? for so many musicians. Right. You know, Joe, Joe Lovano, he played in Woody Herman's band. Mark Johnson played in Woody Herman's band. Um, I think John Abercrombie even played with Woody's band. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Lovano and Wayne Shorter both played in Maynard's band. Right, right. And in fact, I think, I think it was you know, the, the idea that this drummer had played with Stan Kenton that intrigued Zavanol and shorter when Jocko had recommended me. Right. Now, you know, I have no doubt if they had actually heard me play with Stan, they never would have let me come anywhere close to, to, to even walking into, to an audition. Yeah. Um, so but, yeah, let's connect, connect those dots a little bit. They, they imagine, sorry to uh, over talk. No, no. You know, they were imagining like the Kenton band of the fifties. Right. So, right. So people, you know, they think what they want to think. I'm sorry. Because, I'm no, that's all right. I was just, I was going to help, you know, viewers connect those dots a little bit because it was through your associations with Jocko whom you met where, where did you meet Jocko? Was that? I just, I met him, you know, this one time at a, a, at a gig, um, okay. one of the trumpet players and, and Maynard's band, a, a wonderful trumpet player named Ron Tooley. Uh, had played on Jocko's first album. They were buddies in Florida. And and he called Jocko up with the intention of just leaving a message on Jocko's answering machine. Hey, okay. Jocko, we're in town. Just wanted to say hi. Jocko answered the phone. He was home. Okay. And Ron invited him to come see the band that night. And Jocko demurred just like, uh, that's okay. I caught you guys last time. And it was Ron who said, hey, you know what? We got a new drummer. You might want to check this guy out. Wow. And then Jocko said, I'll be there. I'll see you. So um, Jocko came and, and I was thrilled to meet him. You know, I was a fan of, of that first album. Um, and, you know, hearing his playing on, on, on the Black Market recording. Uh, and he said something to me that no one else had ever said. Uh, uh, as I excused myself to go play the second set after mm -hmm. speaking with him, uh, he called out to me. He went, hey, man. He said, hey, man, a lot. <laughs> he goes, hey, man. And I turned to look and instead of saying, you know, play well or do a good job, he just right. said, have fun. 
Mm. Which seems so simple. You know, kind of hit me right between the yeah. eyes. Yeah. Went, yeah, I'm going to have fun. So I had fun. And, um, and he told me he would, he would be calling me one of these days, which I just took to be a polite uh, sign off from him. Uh, but uh, in fact, he did. Wow. And, and, and in fact, I turned it down the first time because the travel logistics just didn't seem to work. And so I actually had to say, thanks, fellas, but, but no thanks. Uh, you know, I'm, I, now's not a good time. Turning down and, weather report. Turning down weather report, <laughs> which is insane. But yeah. honestly, that sort of worked in my favor. Okay. They were impressed by the fact that I turned it down. Okay. So they, they, they asked me one more time. Uh, of course, I wasn't going to let the opportunity slip by second time. Very nice. And we will get there in a second. Uh, Peter, I wanted to mention you might see some uh, comments popping up on the screen. People are saying hello, dropping lines to us on Facebook. We love seeing the comments. Joe uh, is saying, hey, Pete, you got to post that photo, man, from uh, Stan Kenton camp. Uh, and people watching, if you have a question for Peter, uh, feel free to chime in. Feel free to ask. We will uh, post it on air and hopefully he'll be able to answer it. But um, yeah, we have. Can, can I can I show the photo? Oh my god! Here? Can, can I show uh, the screen or no? I don't know. Will that work? Or can I send Maybe. it to you? Yeah, um, yeah. If you tilt your camera, oh, I'll put it on the screen. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Hey, this is live, folks. Hang on. History in the making. Yeah, let's see if I can find uh, you. You go ahead and talk while I. Uh, I will. I. This is a perfect time for me to thank uh, another one of this episode's sponsors. I am talking about Mac Avenue Records. Uh, they have been showing us the road to great music for twenty years now, and they have two very fine albums on the horizon. One is by the pianist Connie Hahn. Her new album is Iron Starlet, and the other is by a fellow keyboardist named Christian Sands. His album Be Water will be available later this year as well. They've also got new albums out by. Jimmy Green, an incredible saxophonist, and Tower Power. We're talking funk. I mean, really, if you do it funkier than Tower Power. Um, they've also got a wonderfully reissued Errol Garner uh, series out right now and an all-star tribute to Oscar Peterson called To Oscar With Love. I've seen the 5LP Deluxe Edition. I think is sweet. Uh, you can learn more about these amazing releases at macavenue.com. Oh, my goodness, Peter. We found okay. it. There it is. Oh. So check this out. Um, that's Keith Jarrett. You can see that. Um, that's David Sanborn. <laughs> oh, my God. There's Lou Marine Jr. Wow. I'm not sure where Randy is. He's somewhere up there. There's Don Grolnick. Cool. Uh, there's me. That was 1961. This is a great day in Harlem, man. This is this is incredible, Peter. If you send this, we'll talk after the show. But if you send this, uh, you know, to our producer Jeff, we could get it up online, and I'm sure people will love to yeah, see this. I, I that is a, very very I cool. Fun, I have a few fun photos I can send. Awesome, that'd be great. That'd great. be great. Um, Go ahead. We left off on a cliffhanger, man. We left off on a cliffhanger. You were hey, the, look at that, Peter Erskine. Keeps it sanitary. You have to. You have to, folks. Uh, we left off on a cliffhanger. You were just about to join Weather Report. I know you had come on uh, during the Mr. Gone phase, um, and they were just about to tour Japan, correct? We're about to tour Japan, and um, uh, so 
the first Do we call that first yeah the first rehearsal is 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 going to more or less be an audition right um i uh, uh so you know I, I i flew out to la i had a brand new drum set it was shipped to uh, the rehearsal uh place and uh the plan was for me to meet up with jocko the night before mm-hmm. rehearsal and he's nowhere to be found. I was going to say, that's always a tentative plan. So uh, I find out uh, that he was up the street at, at, the, at the club Roxy, okay. where uh, CBS Records was, was uh, uh, presenting Billy Cobham uh, and his band, uh, a new album release. And, and, and so the story I heard were a lot of the CBS artists, uh, kind of the guests of honor, they're at these tables long tables in front of the stage where there are large uh, bowls of, of like fruit and grapes and raisins and nuts and all this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, it turns out, uh, and Stanley Clark confirmed that this was true um, during one of Billy's solos. Uh, he's, you know, yeah. he's playing like this. Uh, Jocko and Stanley uh, were taking grapes out of the, uh, that grapes and little <laughs> cashews, and they were throwing them up at the stage, trying to hit Billy's sticks in mid air. Oh god! <laughs> so, so you're like, I see what I'm in for now. They're, they're pelt. They're yeah. They're pelting yeah. Uh, Billy Cobham uh, with fruit and nuts. Too funny, man. Uh, anyway, uh, because I'd been a big band drummer, you know, I was always a, you know a big band drummer, uh, and uh, I I get to rehearsal early set up the drums, meet all the guys in the crew. They're really a nice bunch of people. And uh, the stage manager or somebody came up to me and said, uh, the, the, the guys are going to be a, a couple hours late. Okay. So I'm fiddling with the drum set and practicing a little bit. Uh, and then a guy comes up, hey, uh, really sorry, they're going to be a couple hours late. So so now the, the 1 p.m. rehearsal is becoming like a 7, 7.30 p.m. rehearsal. Yikes. So I'm pretty bored by the time they show up. Yeah. And um, they walk in, all three of them together. They must have met out in the parking lot. Um, Wayne is is very friendly. Um, Zavanel has a, has a dried uh, marijuana road <laughs> stuck to his bottom lip, and he just comes up, and he's sizing me, you know, looking me up and down and kind of very yeah. glumly shakes my hand okay he's not sure he likes what he sees uh i look for jocko he's at the doorway he just kind of smiles waves and darts out again so uh you know the reason i mentioned the whole big band thing is normally i would have waited to uh, okay what do you guys want to play and all right you know let's play that one um but by this point because i was i was just kind of bored and and uh, probably a little bit bugged Mm-hmm. having to sit around. Yeah. Um, I didn't wait for them to ask me to play. Zavanel's noodling at his keyboards, and I just went up and threw down the gauntlet. I started playing. Wow. Which was uncharacteristic. But you must have just been on adrenaline and fed up and... Yeah. Let's get this show on the road. Okay. So Joe Old looked move. surprised, and he started playing, and then Wayne comes up on stage. Uh, then the next thing I know, Jocko comes back. He's got a He's got a six-pack of Heineken beer. <laughs> Okay. He looks up, he smiles, he puts the beer in the refrigerator. That's part of the rehearsal stage, you know, the room. Uh, 
he jumps up on the stage. It's only like, you know, like two, three feet uh, height stage. And almost like it was planned, he turned to his left and a bass comes flying, <laughs> flying through the air. And he grabs it with one hand, throws the strap around, and he starts playing. Now, we're, we're kind of doing an impromptu medley of, of a bunch of weather report tunes and just kind wow. of jamming. And I remember I look out at one point and I see Tom Scott. I recognize him. Jocko had invited him. And I took it as a good sign because Tom's uh, jaw was on the floor. Well, his mouth was open. Okay. So, uh, and he seemed to be like, you know, and it, and it, it, it felt pretty good. So nice. Um, finally, Zavano starts playing this, uh, this part of this tune, Gibraltar. And he gives the high sign, you know, for ending. So sounded kind of rehearsed, you know. Okay. <laughs> and um, they start laughing and high-fiving each other. Again, I take that to be a good sign. Okay. And then Zavano. So, so good. Rehearsal's over. We don't need to rehearse. Um, tomorrow, let's just show up and we take a photo. Wow. So again, I take that to be a good sign. Yeah. So then, then I'm riding shotgun for a very long night out with Jocko. That'll be another podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the next day, uh, we're going to, we're going to get, uh, get this photo taken and Jocko wakes me up early and says, come on, we got to get some new clothes for you. So we go clothes shopping and, uh, he takes me to some hit place on, on Hollywood Boulevard. Anyway, I got some new clothes we show up and the photographer's there. So now we're posing. Right. I can't believe. Voguing it up. Actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the, the, you know, the guys on Maynard's band, they're, Hey Pete, you know, uh, how's it going? What's so I want to, I want to be able to tell them something or tell my family something, you know, um, so as we're posing, doing this stuff, uh, yeah. I said, hey, Joe. And he goes, yeah. I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, what? I said, uh, can I tell my friends I'm in the band? And he said, you can tell your friends you're going to Japan. Uh, that was as far as he was willing to commit. Wow. They needed a drummer for a tour of Japan. That's, that's what it was. Alex Acuna uh, had decided to leave the band, and they were kind of hung up. So I was there pretty much just for that. By the end of the Japan and Australia tour, um, Joe invited me uh, right. you know, to be to become a permanent part of the band. Yep, yep. Amazing, man. That is, and you've got great weather report stories because you have written a book. You wrote a book about your experience in weather report, no Beethoven. Mm -hmm. It is a great book. Mm -hmm. And you have some very funny stories about uh, Joe Zavinol, who seems like quite a character. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Joe's not in, the, in this photo that we just uh, uh, showed, but Cannonball's band was at that camp. Okay. Um, wow. And uh, pardon me, folks, for doing this, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pull one more <laughs> photo up. Here's that same. Love it. Camp. That's me with Lewis Hayes. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, this is great, Peter. Yeah, if you send those to us, we will get them up on the site because okay, this sorry. is just amazing stuff, man. Um, cool. Yeah, because Joe seems like you, I, I came across something in the book. You mentioned Joe's rules, which you said really boiled oh, down to one. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. That's it's <laughs> disgusting. I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay. That's, that's in the book. And if, and, and if you want to hear it in the Zavonal voice, uh, there's a. Uh, audible.com version i i did a i did a whole uh reading of of the book um which was quite an undertaking but that's available and it's it's complete with my uh right. with my bad zavonal <laughs> that's right so if you want to hear joe zavonal's one rule for weather report check out the book no beethoven on audible it is a really good book um you know the other big ensemble association that you have is steps ahead you know, which came afterward, uh, formed at uh, uh, Randy Brecker and Michael Brecker's club, 7th Avenue South. Mm -hmm. um, and you came along for the group's second album, the self-titled Steps Ahead, um, you know, which had Michael Brecker on it, Mike Minieri, Eliana Elias, Eddie Gomez. You know, Michael Brecker, as a musician, there are some musicians that just connect with drummers. There's like a telepathic thing. Miles Davis, I think, had it because, you know, finding a drummer was always a priority for him. And Michael Brecker did, too. Uh -huh. I think that's in part because he, a lot of people don't know, but he was a pretty good drummer. He was, a, um, he was an excellent drummer. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot. You know, of course, I learned a lot getting to know him, getting to make music with him as a tenor player. But when he would sit down at the drums, he showed me... Um, I. I can show you one thing. Let's, me that, let's do it, man. Let's you do it. Find this to be this is going to be a treat. Peter Erskine on the drum set from his home right. studio. Now, um, just in terms of uh, uh, the drums, uh, you know, I, I I I play Tama drums, and there's my uh, there's my kid. Shout out to Tama. That's a beautiful kid. Yes, it is. Uh, but I I was very lucky to come across. This is a 1965 Rogers drum set that had never been played. It sat in the basement of a music store for years. Wow. Um, and uh, I saw it online at Reverb.com, and I got hold of it. Uh, and so it's just my connection with history. Um, I always wanted a Rogers kit when I was a kid. Very cool. So now I have one. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So, uh, Brecker showed me a few things. Uh, uh, number one, he, uh, uh, Billy Hart used, uh, used to also tell me this, that, you know, you, you didn't have to play the hi-hat always on two and four. When I was growing up, it was, uh, Jay Corey who yeah. played tenor in Buddy Rich's band. Jay said, man, you got to keep that hi-hat going on two and four. And right. That was scripture. It's yeah. And, that and the whole summer between my, uh, freshman and sophomore years in high school, Jay and I hung out and every day he would tell me that. So I really, and then it was, a, uh, I subbed for Billy Hart with Stan Getz on a, on a, on a show where Stan's band was playing with, with Maynard. Uh, Billy asked me if I would cover for him. He had a record date or something. Okay. And we're in this theater and around, and and as and as the stage is spinning, and I'm getting you know here I am playing with Stan. Yes, there's Billy Hart in the audience, and he's looking up and he's smiling. Um, and uh, 
you know, I, I, I might've gotten as much as a, yeah, it sounded good. You know, he definitely was appreciative, but the main thing he wanted to tell me he says, you know, you don't have to keep playing your hi-hat on two and four. Mm. And for you, this is, what, what do you mean? That's like telling well, me. Well, a little bit. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then Michael said the same thing. Oh. So, uh, you know, it became part of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the sort of just tr uh, the, the, the triplet world mm -hmm. of, uh, of rhythmic interplay uh, that you could get into. The, uh, uh, the other thing, real quickly, that, that Michael showed me, speaking of triplets, uh, because Elvin was my, my biggest hero, and, and, and I was always trying to figure out how did Elvin do what he did? And uh, uh, so let me just ask you a question. If I do this, does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds okay, good to I'm me. Not, yeah. I'm not overloading the... Uh, no. Cool. Sound great, Peter. So, um, you know, it's, it's right hand, left hand, bass drum. around to you know because that's that seemed to be what i heard elvin doing right. and i would move the hands around to try to approximate what i thought i was hearing it was michael brecker who showed me he said you know how elvin does the triplets a lot of the times i said uh -huh. no how he goes right left foot then left right so he changes direction. So it, like here, it would be. Okay, do. Yeah, it gives you some new contours to work with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you can even do it, let's say, uh, instead of with the bass drum, do it with the hat. Yeah, man. Stuff like that. Peter, so, I'm hoping you could stay behind. Yeah, the you wanted to ask me about one of my favorite beats in jazz, which was from that Steps Ahead album, Pools, right. um, the great you know Don Grolnick tune. Because, oh, I'm curious first, Don Grolnick wrote the tune. Did did he have a beat in mind, or did you come up with that? <laughs> well, what he had in mind was, was not what I was playing. Okay, when it first started. So, well, I mean, when we first rehearsed it, uh, I think I was catching um, all the all the. Uh, all the rhythmic pushes in the tune and just doing a, a relatively uh, unimaginative beat. Uh, so uh, one, two. Okay. And Don was like, no, you know, anything but that, please. We'll do on the nose. Yeah. You don't need to catch all, all the hits. So I was right. all right. So uh you know, my go-to if I can't think of anything else would be just to play the bass drum 
where I'd normally play the backbeat. So instead of playing the backbeat on the snare drum, I played on the bass drum. Interesting. Uh, it, I've used it far too many times. Uh, there's nothing original about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was once doing a record date with Will Lee, and uh, we're trying to figure out something for an intro. I said, "Hey, I've got I've got an idea. I'll, uh, you know, I'll do this." And he goes, after I played that for him, he goes. You got an idea because that's always your idea. That's the same idea you always have. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. of the tune that you play in terms of you know catching the rhythms of the melody the more effective the beat is so the more you kind of weave a line through it um especially when you get to the the bridge you know uh so forth um the one other idea uh, this one is is a, felt a little bit original um there's like a there's a, a little interlude or vamp uh before the first solo which uh, generally was was the bass solo for eddie gomez right and it's this kind of uh charleston rhythm three four so I just yeah, what a foundation, tried man. to get off the hi hat and went. And that um, that's kind of a staggered thing. So the right hand is going. Right. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you got an auxiliary percussionist up there too. Yeah, sounds like two guys. And then the left hand is going. Uh, but then, then I flam them. I just kind of offset them a bit. So three, four. I mean, you could read the phone book over that, and it would groove. That's man. and that that is that's the step speed. That's the step speed. Bravo, <laughs> man! Oh man! The original name of the band was Steps. That's right, and, and they our band. Like I believe they were in North Carolina, and they come up out of nowhere, and they had they had gotten a copyright to their use of the of the name Steps, like just mere days before before we were getting around to it. Uh, so we're blindsided with uh, with a, with a cease and desist, Whoa. and they 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 just basically wanted us to to pay them a whole bunch of money for the use in the name, and we just didn't have the money, right? 
So somebody came up with the name Steps Ahead. I like it better. To be you know, it took a long time for me to Did get it? to that. I like it better, man. Peter, you literally wrote the book on drum fills. You have a book on the essential drum fills. The book I swore I would never write. Did you really? Yeah. Please forgive me. Yeah, I said that, you know, I'm. I'm never going to write a book about drum fills ever. Don't anyone ever ask me. And somebody twisted Alfred your arm. Publishing said, "Would you write a book uh, yeah, about yeah. drum fills?" Okay. <laughs> or is there is there an art to a great drum fill? What makes a great drum fill? And is you know the Phil Collins in the air tonight? Overrated? Underrated? Where? Uh, uh, perfectly rated. Okay. No. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um. <laughs> A, a drum fill, uh, just you know, like any other bit of musical information, should should take the song from where it's been to where it's going. It's not the time uh, to show off. Well, unless I mean, you want if, to, if you feel that that takes the song to where it's supposed to go, um, you know, uh, something I say to all my students, I say we can make this very very quick and painless. Um, if, if you want to understand really how to do this, as far as I'm concerned, it's just playing what you want to hear. Yeah, and right. You know, I can't, if a student plays a solo for me, for example, or a fill, mm -hmm. but, and let's treat a fill like a little solo. A solo. Mm -hmm. It's their solo, you know, I, in, in, in a lot of ways, I don't feel that I can say, well, that's not good or that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's a very personal statement. Um, it, you can look at that statement alongside a, a student and and maybe provide like, um, does this accomplish what what the, what we wanted to, or does it accomplish what what the music needs? I mean, ultimately, if you play for the song, right. and this is this is where a lot of pop and rock drummers uh, uh, outsmarted. Uh, a lot of the jazz uh, players, I think, because they, they, so many of them understood it's all about the song. Mm -hmm. And um, once you get that, then everything becomes, I think, just that much more truthful. Yeah. So, so when somebody plays a solo, let's say, I mean, a Phil can be that too. Um, I, I think of it less in drumming terms nowadays, not just say, is that the story? that uh -huh. you want to tell. Is that the story that the song is telling? That's so good advice. Say, when you say and show off, is it, if that's I, don't think, I don't think that fits into the narrative. Right, right. It's good advice for all creative people is, you know, you've got to play what you want to hear, write what you want to read. You know, it's... I, I remember a story about the, the legendary actor, John Barrymore. Mm -hmm. Um was it John or, or was it Lionel Barrymore? I think it was John Barrymore. Anyway, okay. um, he was uh, he was shooting a scene. This is many years ago with with a kind of a well known child actor, and uh, the child actor was doing the bit that had gotten him or her. I think it was him. Uh, always gotten him the pat on the head. Okay. You know, really cute little bit right and, and he was uh yeah he's he's uh he's hamming it up basically right. and barrymore is trying to do the scene and and 
he he caused quite a ruckus because he just I you know I can't I can't work with this um, <laughs> because this is not this is not part of the of 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 the narrative it's not part of the story um, so a lot of you know a, the reason I never wanted to write the drum book because the 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 Phil's book deals so much with mechanical things which are important right. And, and I've learned to appreciate the importance of short-term goals in teaching. But so much of this to me has to do with aesthetics and has to do with intention and right. it has to do with these larger issues that uh, a lot of times I, I, I fear my students look at me like, you know, what's he talking about? Right. But ultimately I think they, they gain an understanding and appreciation for, uh, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm done playing a, let's say a, a set, or a recording project with some other musicians. Um, if one of them came up and said, "Boy, that man, that Phil you played with that that fast bass drum," uh, you know, I would be really disappointed. Oh wow! But if they come up and say, and what they usually say, and I hope I'm not tooting my own horn here, but they say, "Hey, hey, you made it really easy, right?" Play. Um, I, I didn't feel like I was having to fight the drums, and uh, great. You know, yeah, if, really if the greatest compliment that you could give a drummer. Yeah, if it yeah. felt good, yep. then, then mission accomplished, you know. Cool, man. Peter, it was interesting to hear you bring up, you know, actors in Hollywood because you have performed in a lot of soundtracks. Um, most recently, well, not most recently, but very recently, La La Land, um, which has been much debated uh, in jazz circles. I'll come out and say it. I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a nice story. I thought visually it looked great. You know, I thought the music worked, would it have benefited from more augmented flat nine sharp 11 chords. I don't necessarily think that it would have. Um, and I'm not going to necessarily ask your take on it. Uh, but since we're all at home, unless you want to give it, since we're all at home watching movies. Okay. What was your. Well, you know, having, it's funny. I was flying to Japan one time and um, the stewardess came up to me. And she said, uh, uh, Mr. Erskine, I just wanted to tell you that uh, my flight crew, we we all like your face. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, what are you doing? I'm going to Japan. Uh, why are you going to Japan? Uh, business or pleasure? I said, well, I'm, I'm going there to work. I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, what kind of music? So I, I said, well, in fact, the, the film that you're featuring this month on... Um, this was the ANA, All Nippon Airways flight. Okay. Um, lovely, a great way to travel to Japan, by the way. Um, I said, well, La La Land. And, and then all of a sudden I had this receiving line of flight attendants. Oh, Mr. Erskine, I, I love La La Land. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and wow, cool. Okay. So uh, Damien's an a, a incredibly talented uh, director. And yep. a, uh, he, he was a drummer yep. when he was a student. Um, and the way that Hollywood works, and, and I have no proof that there was a direct connection, but uh, I had been contacted to, to render an opinion on on uh, Whiplash, uh, and I was I was fairly outspoken and and, and critical mm -hmm. uh, of the movie. So naturally, um, I get called to play his next film, right. which is La La Land. Um, 
Now, people might imagine that, you know, we would, we would get together for meetings, we would discuss the music, maybe even have a lunch. Okay. You know, that would be the imagination. You go to right. this yeah. American restaurant and we talk about, well, no, it's none of that. You get a call, um, you show up, uh, you ask, what kind of music am I playing to make sure that you have the right drum set? You know, is it something? Right. Uh, you know, the, the drum set I'd use for Secret Life of Pets would be different for La La Land, let's say. Um, and I had kind of a vague answer, but it was it's a movie about jazz. And okay. Um, uh, so we show up, and, and, and uh, the, uh, uh, you know, J Justin, the, the composer uh, who's written some uh, great film scores, by his own admission, he's, you know, he's not a jazz musician. He doesn't understand jazz harmony. Right. Um, it's just not, not part of his training, not part of his vocabulary or, or the language that he speaks. So basically, uh, a lot of the tunes that, that we were given were jazz versions of themes uh, that appear in, 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 throughout the film, like right. the, the more orchestral ballet dance pieces or whatever. Um, the, the, the motifs that, that he had designed for the various characters. Um, so, uh, we're, we're sort of uh, scratching our heads. How do we make this kind of sound like a jazz tune? Um, and, uh, and meanwhile, Damien was, 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 he's at the studio, but he's, he's in the courtyard he's doing one Skype interview after another because whiplash is all of a sudden uh, right. the buzz is that it's going to win an Academy Award. Right. Um, so uh, he's not available to provide input. And uh, the gentleman who was producing the music uh, had, uh, had, had produced a film uh, called Moulin Rouge. He, he had produced the music for that film. Okay. And I, I believe in that area of, 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 of musical production, uh, you know, he shines. Uh, but, he's, you know, he's not a jazz. He's not a jazz composer, right. And he didn't understand the dynamics. And, and, and after every take, uh, I remember he was, he was wearing these big, like, Doc Martin boots. Okay. And, and, he, and he would say, I want this to be more violent. And he, <laughs> every time he said violent, he'd, he'd stomp his foot. Oh, yikes. Um, it needs to be more violent and stomp his foot, and, which was jarring. Yeah. And, and I finally said, look, okay, we get, we get the violent bit. Can you cool it with the, with the foot stomping? It's, it's, it's getting See, me nervous again. Yeah. And, and it's the last thing in the world you need to tell um, studio musicians, uh, all of who, uh, well, a good half of the band, uh, you know, everyone can, can play jazz, but they don't make their living. Right. jazz i'll put right. it that way so uh it we, we 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 were working without too much clear direction we weren't really sure how to, and in fact they told me uh the drummer is a young young drummer he's really trying to make his mark and so i was playing kind of busy okay you know like sort of is this how uh you know you just, and then when i see the film it's a 60 year old <laughs> You know, yeah. in the club, and then he would yeah. never, you know, so it completely mismatch. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
And so uh, there was a lot of missed opportunity there. If we'd had a chance to kind of really discuss um, and 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 put the music together in a fashion that was more realistic, right? I think the Jazzers would have been would appreciate a little more. Would, would, yeah. Yeah, they would have liked it. Um, and and I don't mean to to sound critical or to denigrate the performances of anyone, right? The, because as a film, I think it stands up. You know. Yeah, players in in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, but as a jazz band, no, we didn't. We weren't functioning too well mm. on on that level for any number of reasons. Uh, material being being part of the issue, and and then just being overly directed, and all this happening in a, in a very short span of time. Right. You know, we show up, boom, do this cue. Now the next cue, and and the final. I remember the final thing I did. I was called in for one additional day. Um, and this is the sequence uh, where all the cars are stopped on the overpass. Oh, over. Okay, right. And they're getting out and dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, amazing dance sequence. Yeah. Um, so uh, it starts with this. And the first part had already been recorded by a terrific drummer named Gary Novak. Okay. And then it switches from kind of the pop Latin-y thing to this double time jazz beat. Uh, so uh, Gary had recorded that bit in the morning and they move his drums and they set up my drums. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I've, I've got the click track in my headphones. So I'm wearing headphones um, here just to, just to make it look real. Got a visual here. I got a visual. So I got the headphones on and I got the click and Right. You know, and this <laughs> the stops clicking and it says drum and they go, that was great. Good. Uh, we want a bigger fill. Oh boy. Right back. At okay. <laughs> So, you know, this. Um, I played into your brain. Play the whole thing. Hey, that was that was another great take. Good. Um, we'd like a bigger film. <laughs> They're waiting for Phil Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> Talking about Phil. So I finally yeah. said, look, hey, fellas. If you don't like the fill, just stop me. Don't make me play the whole freaking thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right? You know, I don't need practice playing this whole tune. If you like what I'm doing, but you don't like the fill, just stop, please. Right. So. And I remember thinking, you want a big fill? Okay, here's your guy. I play this really ridiculous thing. Obnoxious fill. Yeah, the, the anger fill. And and, um, and so months later, we're watching yeah. the Golden Globes, the awards show, and the winner is La La Land. <sighs> and boom, what do they play? They play the Angry Phil. <laughs> and um, I, I, I turned to my wife. I said, "Oh my God, do you? Jeez, you know." And I said, "Was that okay?" She goes, "Yeah, it sounded fine." It was, uh, and the winner is too funny. Well, you know, it's certainly this the anger, the anger fill lives anger on in infamy. Pissed off. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, it was certainly you know, not. You know, you know what film yeah. I was watching? I was going to say, could you recommend some great jazz films? Huh? I was going to ask if you had any recommendations. Oh, for films? Yes, I or do. Or jazz, yeah. I jazz films? But, but I was watching um, the Fosse uh, Verdon. Okay, right. Film. And there's one scene where uh, they, they're recreating a scene uh, from the film Lenny that Bob Fosse directed. Okay. Dustin Hoffman had started, but they're not using actual footage of the film. They recreate it. Um, but the drum set was period perfect. So somebody knew. Very rare because um, I'll see a lot of films where they even take pains to brag about, yeah, we got, you know, even the curtains were. All right. And then, um, oh, it was the Coen brothers, uh, the film um, about the folk singer. Oh, uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that, that one? Is that, is that, that Coen one? brothers? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the, in, in the village. Yeah. And, and and they have a recording studio. This is the early 60s. Right. And they got the they got the microphone stand. Detail for spot on. And, yeah. and there's a there's a drum set with these really like brand new Yamaha boom cymbal stands. <laughs> I'm like, no. I think so many films would benefit from a musical advisor who could say, you know, hey sir, you've got your hands on the saxophone the wrong way, you know the trumpet mouthpiece doesn't go all the way in your mouth. The guitar is upside down because you see it, that stuff all the time. And it, it just, as a musician, it it drives you crazy. It takes a fair amount. Now, when you were asking about recommendations, the first thing I'm going to recommend, of course, is my daughter, yes. Maya Erskine, her show pen 15. Hilarious. Uh, which is super funny. Um, and uh, we were preparing to shoot a scene in a jazz club. Uh, and they were taking great pains to like is what kind of drum set would would her father be playing wow um you know what kind of cymbal bag would he be carrying home from work i mean they really you know they they, they were they were really on the ball with all that unfortunately well season two is is uh, seven episodes are in the can and they're just about done editing um but there was a second block of season two uh, almost like a season three that they, they had to shut down production. Uh, and, and I was proud of my daughter and, and her co-star Anna Conkle because they shut down about four days ahead of most, most of the rest of Hollywood oh, good on that. for, for concern for the safety of the crew and cast. Um, and they were about four days away from completing everything. So, uh, you know, hopefully when things get back to normal, they can get back to normal. But that being said, Season one of Pen Fifteen. If you haven't seen it, it's P E N one five. It's some of the funniest stuff you'll ever see. It is. It's hilarious. And you know they say there's a connection between comedy writing and drumming. All has to do with rhythm, man. So, yeah. oh, timing. It's all about the time. <laughs> and she's also uh, starring in a film called Plus One. Okay. Uh, it's a rom com. It's hilarious. It's really great. Uh, now movies to watch. I. I came across a film that I'd never seen uh, from the 50s uh, called Sudden Fear. Ooh, down, Elmer folks. Crawford. Elmer Bernstein did the score. It's it's an incredibly great score. And the film, it's like, it's, you know, it's real noir uh, and it's cool. classic Hollywood. And it was just so much fun to watch. Nice. We'll check it out. 
Ursa so non movies. I love that's it. That's my one film recommendation. Now, if you need a book recommendation, let's see it. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this. Hey now, it's book um, time. This is the my most recent book. I co-wrote it with Dave Black of Alfred Music Fame. Okay. And um I contacted 250 musicians, uh, you know, players, composers, vocalists, uh, booking agents, uh, even some jazz photographers, uh, and asked all of them the same set of questions, orchestral musicians, conductors. And we got 164 responses. Wow. Pretty good. Yeah. Rate of return there. Um, and, uh, this is interesting. So the, the, the questions were, what's the best advice you've ever received? Okay. What's the best advice you've ever given? Hmm. What's the one thing you'd have done differently in your studies or career? Do you have any uh, travel advice? <laughs> Which is a moot point right now, but right. it won't be. Uh, your best sight reading advice. Okay. Any business advice for a musician? And any advice relating to people skills? We also expanded it uh, to include uh, questions and advice about auditions. Nice. Both auditions to get uh, into school, to get into an ensemble once you're at school, and professional auditions to to get a job with an orchestra. Right. Yeah. Um, That's certainly a valuable read. Yeah, it's it's fun. the The layout of the book is entertaining. You can start, stop anywhere. Um, but just, uh, uh, you know, it's just some of the best advice and I'm really grateful that Alfred, uh, that's, that was a lot more fun than the Phil's book. I'll put it. <laughs> gotcha. so, and, and you've got a new album out right now, uh, which you've got the CD the in your hands, three nights in LA. Zone. It's a, uh, as you can see, it's a three CD yep. set. So it's this fabulous, uh collection of music with Alan Pasqua, Dark Oles, and George Garzon. It's it's just the best playing I've ever done with the possible exception of this guy. Hey, hey, the Dr. Um, um and this band. is the Fusion Electric side. Yep. This is the Dr. Um band. Um, and this one, you know, folks, it came out on vinyl. Uh, it's that heavy, you know, 180-gram super-duper press. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, and I was told there was a big market for vinyl. Um, I've, I've got a closet filled with these things. So, <laughs> so buy, well, now's the time to buy and buy that physical CD, the well, physical vinyl, buy the merch, Peter, you know, what I, you know what? I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm talking, yeah. so much. I'm just having fun, but I, I got a turntable. Yeah, man. And last night I was listening to some records I hadn't listened to in years and man, it's great. It's, There's nothing it's, like it. It's really, it's made the texture of the thing. It was perfect timing. Yep. I got it just before the quarantine. And so uh, catching up on lots of things, including listening to music. I apologize for talking so much. Oh, no need to apologize, man. We could talk all day and perhaps we will on another podcast. We're certainly going to show those photos on our website. Um, Peter, if people want to follow along, people want to buy some CDs. What's the best place to, you know, follow along all things Peter Erskine? Well, um, I mean, you know, to the frankly, extent that they can right now. Com is always going to be maybe your your uh, 
your one of your uh, more handy resources. But if you don't mind visiting petererskine.com, we're in operation. Yep. We have uh, everything here, the books, the CDs, the LPs, um, and uh, uh, I'd be happy to uh, to sign anything if you want. Um, and also, if, if anyone's interested, uh, uh, they should visit ArtistWorks. Um, so two words, ArtistWorks combined. Mm -hmm. ArtistWorks.com, where I have a jazz drumming school. Um, I'm not going to go online begging, like, you know, hit me up for Skype lessons. But the uh, this is something that we had set up a few years ago. And, and it's really a great drum school and, uh, and a music school in general for any instruments. And, and the way it works is, like I have over 200 lessons posted there. Okay. The students upload a video and then I respond by video. Um, and it's very high quality, you know, video. So it's, it doesn't depend on the, you know, uh, the, the, the only issue with, with, with the synchronous or, or, or you're doing things in real time. If, if someone's internet connection, it's not good where the drums are. Right. So this, um, avoid some of that and uh, and and it's a well-designed site the, the guy that created it that was one of the founders of, of America online so cool that's pretty Art. cool anyway plugs plugs finished every I, I sense you're wrapping me up here everyone please stay home stay sane stay healthy you know stay well but stay home and and then we'll all be able to to, to get outside and, and and play with our friends again. You heard it from the drum legend, Peter Erskine himself. Peter, thank you so much for joining me for brunch, man. This was awesome. Thank this you. Brian. Awesome. I've, I've always loved the magazine and you folks have been such great friends and supporters of the music, but you do this really well. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I will see you backstage. In the meantime, I'm going to wrap up with the folks at home. So, so long, Peter. See you in a minute. Uh, wow, ladies and gentlemen, a nice leisurely brunch with Peter Erskine where he gets to play drums. Okay, where else are you going to find that but jazzes.com? We sincerely thank you for tuning in. I'm going to just wrap up by thanking a few more of this episode's sponsors, uh, and that includes Smoke Sessions Records. Um, so they're really one of the finest straight ahead jazz labels out there at the moment. They've got a new record by saxophonist Wayne Escoffrey out right now called The Humble Warrior. It is fantastic. Um, and a recently released uh, live recording of the late great pianist Harold Mayburn uh, who passed away in 2019 it's called Mayburn Plays Mayburn to check it out visit smokesessionsrecords.com uh, thanks also to Blue Sound so Blue Sound is an award winning wireless high res sound system that lets you play music in any and every room throughout your home you just choose uh, music from your favorite streaming service or music library connected to their free Blue OS app um, and you're off and running getting the kind of crisp and detailed sound that only an audiophile grade system can deliver has never been easier. Um, some products that Jazz's readers might like, the Node 2i Wireless Multi-Room High-Res Streamer and the Pulse Soundbar 2i Wireless Streaming Multi-Room Sound System. You can learn more uh, on the Blue Sound Buyer's Guide that we put on our website or on uh, bluesound.com. Speaking of our website, we're offering a great deal right now. You know, we've got all the content from our quarterly print issues. We digitize. Here's our spring 2020 issue with Charlie Parker on the cover. 
Isn't that nice? Uh, we digitize that content. We put it online. It's for subscribers. You can access now three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents per month. Plus, we'll enroll you to receive our next issue, our summer 2020 issue. It is coming out in June. That's the offer. Jeff has pulled it up on screen. Summer 2020 is all about fusion. Jeff, do you have that cover we're working on? We're taking you behind the scenes, folks. Uh, this is a draft of the cover that you can check out. We've got a long, wide-ranging interview with Chick Corea. You got that, Jeff? Most recent Chick Corea cover? Well, there's the one with... Uh... Well, anyway, it is all about fusion. Trust me, uh, it's very stylish. It's going to look good. And that, like I said, 99 cents per month for three months. Uh, we've got a great week of interviews ahead, uh, starting off with Keon Harold, the trumpet player, on uh, Monday, uh, Flora Purim and Ayrto uh, on Tuesday, Mark Egan on Wednesday, Petros Kemplanis on Thursday. We're going to round off next week's programming with the great Jeff Coffin on Friday. Uh, in the meantime, check us out on jazzes.com to any first responders, healthcare professionals, uh, grocery store workers, essential workers out there doing your thing to keep us safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely appreciate it on that note. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week for brunch. <laughs>